Well, good evening. How is everybody doing tonight? Excellent, excellent. As uh, Pastor Tim said, my name is uh, Jordan, and I have the privilege of being one of the assistant pastors here at Meadowbrook. Like he said, I help run uh, C20, which is our college and 20-somethings ministry. And it is an honor and privilege to be before you guys tonight and be able to open up the scriptures. Um, But first, what I want to do is just publicly thank uh, Pastor Tim and Miss Alicia for this opportunity as we dive into um, God's Word. As he said, my wife's name is Carissa, and we actually recently celebrated two years of marriage. Now, I know, some of you are thinking two years, try on 50. I get that. But for us, two years, yes, we made it this far. And so we decided to celebrate by going to Savannah, Georgia. You guys ever been to Savannah, Georgia? Um, If that hand is not raised, you need to go check it out. It's only like about four hours away. Beautiful, beautiful city. And I decided on our first day there that we were just going to wing it. Uh, Anytime the husband says wing it, that is never a good idea. So, because I don't know the city, and if if you've been there, you know it's a bunch of blocks. And when you first are there, they kind of all look the same. So we start just kind of walking, having a good time, and it's, it's kind of hot out. And about two and a half hours in, we decide, let's head back to the car. It's a great idea, except I don't know where the car is. Uh, now, I'm not going to tell her that. And she starts to pick up after about 20 minutes that I don't know where we're going. So she's like, can I have the map? I'm like, no, because in my mind, I'm like, if I gave you the map, you would know we are lost. So definitely, definitely not. Am I going to ask for directions? No, because I'm a man. I'm going to figure this out. And... Two and a half hours later, we figured it out. And I learned a very important proverb that day. Listen to your wife and it will go well for you. Don't listen and you shall perish. So uh, if you're newly married or married for 50 years, that advice goes on forever. Um, Here's actually, I want to show you guys a picture for those you don't know of my wife. Uh, This is a picture. There she is. Uh, She is beautiful. That is down by the river of Savannah. And yes, for you 90s hip-hop fans, that is a Tupac shirt. So um, we had had a great time in Savannah. And despite our little excursion, uh, my wife still loves me. We have no children yet. We do have a little puppy named Baxter who uh, my wife says is our son. So that's that right now. So, So tonight, the title of my message is called Questions in the desert. Questions in the desert. As staff pastors, one of the privileges we have is that we get to pray over prayer requests. When you fill out the little information card asking for prayer, or if you email us for prayer as staff pastors, we pray over those. And a few weeks ago, I was praying over those requests, and I noticed, I noticed there was a, a similar theme that was running through them. Although the requests were different, there was a similar refrain. And the theme was this. The people who were asking for prayer had found themselves in a place where they didn't know what to do next. They found themselves with questions. Why did this happen? How long will things be like this? When is this going to change? They found themselves with with questions in their own desert. And I think most of us, we've probably been there before. We're in a situation and we're trying to figure out what is the next step? What do I do? Many of us may even have an area of our life right now where we're wondering, 
When will this be different? Be it financial, be it a job, be it health, whatever that is. And with our questions, we're not alone. These are actually the same questions that the people of God asked in the book of Exodus. The story of Exodus is the story of God freeing his people from the oppressive hand of Egypt. It's the story of God leading his people out of Egypt through their own desert and into the promised land. But just like us, in their desert, they had questions. They had wanderings. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to dive into that idea. We're going to look at part of the story of Exodus. And then we're going to look at the question of what do we do when we find ourselves in some sort of desert trying to figure out what is next. So let's do this. Let's, let's pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the scriptures to us. Father, we just thank you for who you are, that you are faithful, and that you are good. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you dwell within us. I thank you that you are our guide, that you are our light. So as we open up the word of God today, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts. I pray that you would open our minds to truth. And I pray that every single one of us in here, we would leave encouraged and we would leave helped. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, I played a game that many of your kids probably played. Uh, It's called T-ball. T-ball is a sport that introduces kids to the game of baseball. And essentially, it has the same dynamics of baseball, except for one tiny little aspect. You hit the ball off a tee. Uh, How many of your children play T-ball as a kid? Sure, sure, a lot of them. And every T-ball team always has that one kid who has a little trouble hitting the ball off the tee, right? Like he'll swing and he'll swing over it. He'll swing by it. He might even hit the tee, but he has the hardest time connecting. And if you're thinking of some kid and he's in here, don't point him out. Um, so what would happen is this, this child, he gets up to bat, right? And he's ready. And when he gets up, everyone's just like, please hit, please hit, please hit, please hit, please hit, right? And, and every once in a while, on occasion, a miracle would happen. He would get ready. He would get up and he would. Now, most of the time, it wasn't a home run. It wasn't a heavy hit. But somehow, he would connect. And normally, he's frozen because he doesn't normally hit the ball. And he's just like, and the coach is like, good job, Michael. Run! Go! And so what does he do? He starts running, but he starts running to third base. And the coach is like, no, first base. Go first base. And so he gets over there. He gets on base and what? He's excited. The coach is is cheering him on, saying, good job, way to go. And you know, often God is like that with us. Whether we realize it or not, we are that one kid who gets up to the tee of life and is swinging at the ball. And it is God who is our coach who is saying, Jordan, keep swinging. Eventually you will connect. And often in the deserts that we find ourselves in, it's like that child stepping up to the tee. On his own, that child will probably not hit a home run. And for most of us, based on our own ability, we're not going to hit a home run either. But what I believe God is speaking to us tonight is that we are to keep getting in the box and to keep swinging. Because the home runs come when we are trusting in him. Often in the, in the midst of the desert, we think it's just about how hard I work. If I grip my teeth down, I will figure this out. I'll figure a way. When in reality, it is the working of God that makes things come to pass. 
What's our role is to recognize that when it comes to getting out of the desert, it's not based on your skill or my skill. It is based on a grace that empowers us. So it's our role to keep stepping up to the T and to just keep swinging. This is the idea that I want us to kind of lean into tonight, that our success, your success, my success is in direct relation to the grace of God. So just keep swinging. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, we're going to look at the story of the people of God in their Exodus journey. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at their arrival to the promised land. So at this point, they've been wandering in the desert for many years, and now God has led them to the promised land. Our teaching text for tonight is Deuteronomy 33.1. The book of Deuteronomy in many many ways parallels much of Exodus. So um, this is kind of where we're going to be hanging out tonight. So Deuteronomy 33.1, if you have your Bibles or smartphones, let's head there. If you don't, it will also be on the screen. So Deuteronomy 31 says this. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, Bless the people of Israel before his death. That this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. So let's, let's take some time and let's unpack this verse because something significant is happening here. The first thing we notice is that it says that Moses is about to give a blessing. Now, this idea of blessing is, is not necessarily what we normally think of when we think of blessing. For us, we may think of blessing as saying grace before dinner. Uh, we may think of a, a blessing that a, that a father would give a future son-in-law to marry his daughter. And although those are significant, this blessing has even more significance towards it. Uh, the patriarch of the family would often pronounce blessings on his children, and they are always taken as serious and considered binding. Binding, think of the sense of like a contract. So, so this is a big deal. And usually, they were given when the patriarch was about to die. Uh, this chapter is similar to Genesis 49, where Jacob blesses his sons, who are actually the forefathers of the tribes that Moses is now about to bless. So here Moses is. He's coming towards the end of his life. And he's reflecting. Imagine for a second that you're that you're in Moses' place. Imagine what it would have been like for him to reflect on the journey that he's been on with his people, of what it was like as a young man or younger man to march in to Egypt and that kingdom and say, let God's people go. Imagine what it would have been like for him to wander in the desert, but yet see so many miracles that God made happen, whether it was opening seas or bringing down bread from heaven. And so here Moses is, the older man, the sage, and he's reflecting back on his time. He realizes that he's no longer going to lead the people of God. And so these are going to be some of the last things he's going to say. Imagine you were in his place. What would be the last things you would want to speak? As I was working on this message and I was thinking about Moses' last words, it got me wondering, what are some of the famous last words that people have spoken? And I'd like to share a few with you, a few uh, famous, funny last words. Uh, Kit Carson, he was a famous frontierman, said before death, I just wish I had time for one more bowl of chili. (laughs) I mean, I like chili, don't get me wrong, but that's not going to be my last wish. A famous French grammarian, think like a teacher, and I think all you teachers will love this. 
said, I am about to or I am going to die. Either expression is correct. That is what you call a true teacher to the end. And my favorite one comes from the comedian Bob Hope. When his wife asked him where he wanted to be buried when he died, he responded quickly, surprise me. That's also a, a true comedian. Now, now, of course, what Moses is going to share is nothing like that. What Moses is going to share is full of significance. It's full of importance. Moses, he's probably gone away. He's prayed and he's sought the Lord and he's thought about what are going to be the last things I say. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read it all. But through the rest of the chapter, Moses, he blesses the tribes of Israel. Now, that may not seem significant, but it really is. You see, these tribes had some serious issues. These are the same people who earlier made a golden calf, essentially a baby cow, to worship to instead of the triune God. One of the tribes was actually a part of a rebellion. There were times where they wanted to kill Moses. But yet notice, what does Moses do? He doesn't curse them. He only blesses them. He doesn't name any of their sins, though there were many. He only blesses. If you have some time this week, read the rest of Deuteronomy 33, because you'll see that it's soaked in grace. Uh, In this passage, Moses, he's revealing something about the character and nature of God. That the reason they made it to the promised land was not because they were smart enough, good enough, or holy enough. They made it to the promised land because of the grace of God. And in the same way for us, God has put forward a blessing on us, his children. And the reason we make it through our deserts and we find ourselves is ultimately because of the good grace of God. And so what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of this message talking about the idea of grace and its connection to our deserts. Uh, Using the analogy of a batter's box, I want to talk about two things when it comes to grace, and then we're going to end with one closing thought. So the first idea is this. Forget about being hit. Forget about being hit. Let's actually all say that together. Forget about being hit. As we grow, we reach a stage where we move from T-ball up to the majors, Little League Baseball. And I remember being young, I played one year of Little League Baseball, and then I was cut. I was forced into an early retirement. Uh, Okay, not really. I just, I didn't really like it. But I do remember one time, I was up to bat, and I was getting ready, and I was ready to slug it out, and I'm going, and I'm going, and, and the pitcher, obviously he was a newbie, he comes, he throws it, hits me right in the side, right? So what do I do? I rip off my helmet and I charge the mound. No, I, I did not do that. Actually, the reality is I'm a 10-year-old boy, so what am I really doing? I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Because I'm not going to cry in front of my other 10-year-old friends because that's not cool, and then they'll always make fun of me. Okay, so, so that was my experience in a little league. But guess what? The next few times I got up to bat, I was afraid. I was in fear that I would get hit again. I forgot everything that my coach had taught me. I had no focus. Why? Because I couldn't forget about the time when I was hit. And many of us, we approach life like this. Like the Israelites, we can leave Egypt, but sometimes it takes a long time for Egypt to leave us. 
And if we're, not carry what, if we're not careful, what happens is we carry around our old hurts and our old fears with us everywhere we go. And every time we get up to the bat of life, we're living in fear because we can't forget the time where we were hit. Because when you've been abused or lost or hurt, the last thing you want to do is let go. Because we're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of getting hurt again. But if you're someone who's holding on to hurt resentment or whatever, and you want to find freedom, you have to let it go. Because one of the biggest things that keeps us from grace is that we're holding on to our Egypt. We're clinging to the very thing that kept us in bondage. And when your hands are clenched on Egypt, they're not open to receive the grace that God has for you. Uh, Playing baseball, my, my coach realized what was going on. And he said, Jordan, You have to forget about the past hit if you want to enjoy the game. Now think about that. We have to give up the past hurt if we're going to enjoy life. That we have to get to a place where we can step up to the box and swing with courage and with boldness because we're not concerned about being hit. And the reality of it is, sometimes we do get hit. Hurt does happen. But the real decisive moment The real game-changing moment is what we decide to do after being hit. So forget about being hit. The second thing we want to talk about is this. You're not the only one in the box. You are not the only one in the box. Let's say that together. You are not the only one in the box. When I was little, sometimes my dad would let me drive the car. How many dads let their sons do that? Like looking, is my wife looking at me right now? Um, yeah, dad, dads are awesome like that. Sometimes he'd let me drive the car. I would sit in his lap and I would be turning the wheel as we went. Now, let me ask you a question. Am I really driving the car? No, of course not. He's got his, well, I hope not. <laughs> He's got his foot on the gas and the brake. He's grabbing the wheel when we swerve, which normally was often. Um, personally, I blame the alignment on that one. Um, But in the same way, when you step into the batting box of life, you don't step in there alone because God is there with you. And I want to take some time to talk about this idea of everyday grace. That the thing that truly keeps us going in life, it's not food or water, it's not money, it's not coffee. Well, maybe it's coffee, I don't know. But no, it's it's none of those things. The thing that truly keeps us going in life is the grace of God. A few weeks back, a man by the name of John Bevere came and spoke to our church. If you don't know who John Bevere is, he's an incredible man of God. He's written some best-selling books. He's preached all over the planet. He came to Meadowbrook a few weeks ago, and he spoke of the idea of God's empowering grace. And I'd really encourage you, um, if you when you get a chance, if you haven't, if you haven't heard it yet, go to NBCOcala.org, which is our website, and, and download it, because it was really good. And in his message, he talked about how the most important definition— of grace found in the Bible is that it's God's empowering presence in and through us. That grace is what leads us, what empowers us, and what strengthens us. And I believe it's what we need every single day. Now let's open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy 2.1. A 2 Timothy 2.1 is something very significant um, to say to us. And so 2 Timothy 2.1 says this. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened 
by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is his protege. Paul is this man's mentor. And notice the way that Paul speaks to Timothy. He says, my child. Now, now Paul is not actually Timothy's dad, but he is Timothy's spiritual father. And there's a reason Paul is calling Timothy his child. You see, Paul is stressing his authority and his position in Timothy's life for a specific reason. Paul is saying, what I'm about to share with you, this is not just a good idea. We're not shooting the breeze here. I'm commanding this of you. The verb strengthen there in the Greek is an imperative verb. In the Greek, an imperative verb is used to command something. Meaning Paul is saying, this is a command for you. I am commanding you, Timothy, to be strengthened by grace. You see, Paul is asserting his authority so that Timothy sees the weight of what he's saying. And he tells his spiritual son, be strengthened by grace. This is the center point. This is the crux for us. He doesn't say be strengthened by reading a lot of books. He doesn't say be strengthened by working out and eating healthy. He doesn't be strengthened by making a lot of money or by having great friends, although all those things are good. He says the center point is this, be strengthened by grace, that this is the most important thing we can do, and this grace that we need, we find in Jesus. This is the everyday grace lifestyle we are called to live out, that when you feel lost, run to Jesus and find grace. When you mess up, run to Jesus and find grace. That when you sin, run to Jesus and find grace. When you sin horribly, run to Jesus and find grace. You see, a mark of Christian maturity is that we immediately run to Jesus when we mess up rather than from him. And grace, this grace is personified in a person and his name is Jesus. And the grace that Jesus offers for you and offers for I, it's not only a one-time thing at salvation, although it is that, but it's an everyday thing. I think for many of us, what we do is we kind of see grace as something to use in a case of emergencies instead of seeing it as a daily, integral part of our lives. Grace is, as John Bevere says, that daily empowerment. And you and I, we are at our best in life when we are trusting most in the grace that God has for us. You see, grace is learning to let go of control of your life and trusting in your good and faithful Father. Grace is knowing that God has forgiven you. Grace is knowing that God has purpose planted inside of you. Grace is knowing that God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you so that you will bless others. Grace is knowing that you have something good to speak. That grace is empowering you to change the lives of those around you. Grace is knowing that you are not limited by your past. And grace is knowing that God has a good future intended for you. This is the lifestyle that you and I are called to live out. But it takes time. It does. It takes time and it takes some some learning on our part. So I want to share a couple of things that we can do to cultivate the grace lifestyle. Uh, The first one is very simple. It's stop and ask. Stop and ask. Let's actually say that together. Stop and ask. It's to say, Lord, help me to find rest in you. Help me to trust you. You know, the scriptures tell us you do not have because you why? 
You don't ask. God wants to give us grace every day. And honestly, most of the time, he just does it. You know, most of us got here safely. Why? Because we're great drivers? Well, partly, but it's because God is gracious. So many things in our life are because of God's grace. But there's so much more he wants to do if we would just stop and ask him. Stop and ask. And, and we need to get into the mindset of realizing that for, to God, our small things and our big things are both important. I know for me, for a long time, I thought, well, here's this big thing. And I, I know I need help with this. God, please give me grace for this. But this small thing, I don't want to bother you with. I'll figure it out myself or whatever that is. And, and we have to step back and realize that God is so grand. God is so big. He can handle our small and he can handle our big. It's not a problem for him. But it requires us, you and I, coming to him and saying, God, I need grace. You know, even this morning for me, I, I woke up with just a, a nasty headache. You know, and so I, I stretched, I tried to drink a lot of water, tried to eat, tried to do all the things I knew how to do. But you know when that headache went away? It's when I prayed. to God, I've got a, I've got a lot going on today. I've got a really busy day. Will you give me grace and, and give me healing? And I found it coming back. And what I do, I prayed again. That grace is there for you. God wants to flex his muscle on your behalf. All you have to do is ask. This is a great way that we can live the grace lifestyle is to stop and ask for grace. Secondly is this. Offer grace to others. Now this one, let's be honest, is a little more difficult. Can we be real? That's a little more difficult. Offer grace to others. Those around us need grace. Our spouses need grace. Amen on that one? Our, our children need grace. In our case, my little puppy needs grace. Um, our coworkers need grace. Our employers, our employees need grace. Even the guy who cut you off on traffic on the way over here, he needs grace too. Everyone around us needs grace. And a, and a great way to unlock the grace that God has for us is to freely offer that grace to others. Because here's the reality. When we begin to just offer others grace, we're more, we're more concerned with accepting the grace of God. We're more open to receiving the grace that he has for us. Now, there are many other things we can do to cultivate a grace lifestyle, but these are two things that we can start to incorporate into the rhythms of our life that will lead us to having that sense of, of life of grace. So living in, in grace is truly accepting what God has done for us. It's humility. It's the realization that I can't do this on my own. I need something greater than myself, and that something is Jesus. So to truly flourish even in the midst of our deserts, is to live the grace lifestyle. Now, I mentioned earlier how there was two things we want to talk about with the batter's box. Then we had one closing thought. So there's one more thing we want to talk about. Earlier we read about Moses, Moses' last words, the last things he was going to speak to the people of God. And in the next chapter of Deuteronomy, so that was chapter 33, in chapter 34, it recounts the transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua. And then God takes Moses up to a mountain and he passes on into the next life. And even though Moses' story is done, the people of God, their story is still going to continue. Even though God has led them to the promised land, there's still more to be done. If you know their story, yes, they're at the promised land. Yes, they're at home. But there's still more battles to fight. There are people groups they have to defeat. There are things they have to conquer. You see, the one desert as they knew it was over. But they were about to step into a brand new desert. And here's why this is significant for us. 
Because as long as we're on this earth, we're going to be in one of three places, either just leaving a desert, in a desert, or about to enter a desert. This is the stage we live on. And the reason, this is the reason grace is so important for us. Because we need the grace of God to carry us through wherever we find ourselves. Wherever we find ourselves in those three things, we need God's grace. And to truly live the grace lifestyle, we have to learn to crave a greater home. Learn to crave a greater home. A few weeks back, I had my wisdom teeth pulled. It was not a fun process. Um, But this was my first time uh, being under IV sedation. I, I had never experienced that, so I didn't know what to expect. So I get into the dentist's office, right? And I, I, I wasn't aware that, I mean, I should have put two and two together, that there was going to be needles involved. I don't know about you. I don't mind snakes. Throw a snake, a spider. I mean, don't, don't really do that. But snakes, spiders, heights, I don't mind that. But needles, ah, even when I go get my blood taken, I've had the nurses make fun of me. I, you would think that I better bedside manner, but I've sincerely had that happen to me before. I just, my palms start sweating. I just get really, really tight and up tense. And they're like, it's okay, you're, you're going to live. So I, I realize she starts busting out the, the needle, right? And so I got my, she's rolling on my sleeve and I'm, and she can see me like, what is he doing? I'm just praying in my mind. But, but she's just looking at me. And so, and it was, I realized she was doing this. She thought this was a kind thing to do. Maybe this will loosen me up. She starts making jokes. Now, when I'm in that place, I don't want to joke. Just, just get it over with. And so I'm right here. She starts making jokes about how I just learned how to do this on YouTube. And I'm like, that's nice, but let's get this over with. Okay. So finally she, she gets it in there and she didn't, she didn't do it right. So the dentist comes in. He's like, that wasn't done. Right. Moves it around. So I'm there and he's like, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to count down from 10. Now keep in mind. Never been to Ivy Sedation. I'm like, count down for 10. Okay, sure. 10, 9, 8. All right, we're done. I'm like, I didn't even get to 1 yet. How, how are you already finished? So I've heard the stories, and I've watched the YouTube videos where someone is filming the other person when they get out of, you know, Ivy Sedation. And in my mind, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be that loopy. Let's just say I couldn't have been more wrong. I get in the car with my wife, and we're driving, and I start doing this. I pull down the mirror. I roll down the window. Finally, I look over to her, and I say, I have big Beyonce lips. So the next... Over the next week, sometimes she would just look at me and say, how are your Beyonce lips doing? So needless to say, I was a little loopy. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that stood out the most to my wife and to everybody else is how much I was craving food. The nurse uh, wheels you out into a wheelchair. And apparently while Carissa was getting the car, and I keep in mind, I just had my teeth pulled out. I kept asking the nurse, how soon till I can have a steak? When I was in the car, I kept asking Carissa, when can I eat? I'm so hungry. When can I eat? She told me later, I asked for food like 30 times. You see, in my estate, I revealed what I truly desired. I revealed what I wanted. When you go under IV sedation, you can't eat for six hours prior. So the last thing I had eaten was a bowl of Captain Crunch 
in the morning. Uh, real talk, the captain's not that filling. So I have not eaten anything of substance in a very long time. And what? I craved food. I craved it. When you find yourself in the midst of a desert, what do you crave? What do you, what do you really crave? When, we, when we're in a spiritual or emotional desert, what do we crave? You see, we must come to a place that what we really crave is a better home. That, that, that what we crave is that someday God is going to make all things new. That he's going to make sense of our senseless. That he's going to bring healing to the brokenness. That our God, the creator, is in the restoration business. You see, we have to have a heavenly perspective if we're going to make it through the different deserts that we experience. Because the key to any desert is not that you and I would finally be out of it. Because as long as we're on earth, there are deserts to go through, just as the people of God had battles to fight. What is key for us is learning to rest in a greater home. It's learning to crave a greater land. That our future is bright because our future is with God. See, to truly live the grace lifestyle is to live with the understanding and realization that this is not our final home. That someday God is returning for his people. That someday we will spend eternity with God. No more pain, no more tears, no more deserts. The great hope that you and I have in our desert is this. No matter how long you've been in some desert, no matter how long you may be in some desert, our time on earth is the blink of an eye. It's a snap of the fingers compared to eternity. And it's eternity that our hope is held. So to fully embody the grace lifestyle is the trust in a God who is returning for his people. It's the trust in a God who is preparing a better place for us. It's to crave a better home. So just keep swinging because a greater home awaits us. As Pastor Tim always says, did y'all get anything out of this?